Greetings in Jesus' name. The one who we find true freedom in the Lord Jesus. So I'm grateful for what has transpired this morning already. Thinking of David, um, thinking of what I was sharing this morning. That when David was anointed, then the Spirit of God came upon David. And that's a pattern of the Old Testament. The Spirit of God came on people to accomplish a task. That's typical of Old Testament. When they needed someone to make the artifacts of the tabernacle, God gave the Spirit of God to, I don't know what his name was anymore. Saul was filled with the Spirit. David, the prophets. God has, when he has, when he had a, a something he wanted to accomplish, he gave them the Spirit so that that person could move out and accomplish it. Now we come to the New Testament era where God gives his spirit to everyone. The new birth, the repentance, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the new heart. And again, God has something to accomplish through us. Because I was thinking of that this morning, um, because what I'm going to be sharing, it's more your typical normal life. But we must not get lose sight of what God is actually doing in context. This, what I'm going to be sharing this morning, is done in the spirit of, through the Spirit of God. God has purposed that we accomplished this. This is one of the reasons the Spirit of God has come upon us in daily, everyday, and congregational life. That's not the only reason why we have the Spirit of God for everyday congregational life. Sometimes we have it for a war front. And war front is many fronts. <laughs> and there's many reasons for the Spirit of God. But one of them is what we heard this morning. I mean, what I will be sharing this morning. Okay, let's, could we stand for a word of prayer? Lord, we are grateful to you. You have done everything that is needed and necessary for us to follow you, to be victorious, to be free, and to please you. Lord, those men in the Old Testament, you filled them with your spirit. They didn't always shine, even with the, the, the filling of your spirit. And neither do we, Lord. But, Lord, we thank you that you have given us your spirit and do pray you would help us to walk it out in a way that is pleasing to you, in a way that will bring glory to your name, in a way, Lord, that will not bring us into bondage. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for this morning that we can gather together like this and study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You can turn to First Peter chapter 3. And uh, today's title, Cultivating Christian Graces. Uh, last Five messages were in this section where Peter is dealing with attitude and conduct of various situations for the Christian. First was the government, how to relate to it. Next was slaves, servants, and employees, wives with a husband, and husbands with a wife. Today, it is about all of us. 
all of us. So let's read first first Peter three verses eight to twelve. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it and pursue it and sue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So that is the, the context, it's the text this morning. And like I said, we have been talking about different sections for the Christian life. Now we're talking about all of us. Finally, all of you. He is talking about us as real, as a, as, a, as a congregation and as a people. And there are general rules of conduct, general rules of character. And we need this. This is where our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is put into practice. It's the heart of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our submission to his lordship in this area. And it's the way the world would function if it would be aligned with God's principles and God's ways. So, the first part is, be ye all of one mind. Now, imagine... A voice coming down out of heaven, just imagine with me, and you all heard this commandment, Oasis, be ye all of one mind. In the same way that a wife is to submit to her husband. In the same way that a husband is to love and cherish and nourish his wife. In the same way, we are all to be of one mind. That's what's being said. It's not optional. It's a matter of faith, obedience, and submission. And can you think of any other scriptures where we're told to be of one mind? Can you think of any? I'll read a few. Romans twelve sixteen. Be ye, be of the same mind one toward another. Might not things, high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Romans 15, 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And in Acts, it's mentioned several times that the believers were together in one accord. They were united. They were one heart. They were one soul. Based on these scripture verses, we can say that this one-mindedness is not a little—it's not a little side issue. So, what is being of one mind, of one accord? Just think a little bit. If someone would ask you, "Be one-minded," what would one-minded look like? Well, just think a little bit. You don't have to answer out loud, but think. What? What would it? How would you answer that? If someone asked you, what is being of one mind, what would it be? Well, I often think of what is the opposite of one mind. I think the opposite of one-mindedness is being individualistic or independent. 
Would that be a possibility of being maybe original, maybe of standing out or apart or a, a dissident? Well, we will not learn this one-mindedness from our current culture. Our current culture has values, and we live in a pluralistic culture, which means it is many, many cultures. Pluralistic. Hmm? Oh, is that pluralistic? That's, that's one-mindedness there. Well, you don't have it in America. We have a multi-cultures, we have diverse cultures, but our culture is individualistic. Each person in this culture, in this context where we live, in the, the, the air that we breathe in this country, each person has the freedom to believe what they want to believe and to express themselves how they want to. And it's actually intentionally put that way. It's actually illegal to discriminate based on race, color, religion, sex, national origin, or even now sexual orientation. In this country, you have the right to believe what you want to believe, and you are forbidden to require someone else to believe what they don't want to believe or what you want them to. So, if there is any cultural norm that is around us, it is the norm that every creature is free to be whoever he or she wants to be. Individualism is one of the greatest values of our land. Freedom from rules. Freedom from customs and traditions. Self-expression is valued instead. And as strangers and pilgrims, we as a people, we live in this greater society that is multicultural and is individualistic that values self-expression. So we live in that. Now I'd like to ask you a question. We are strangers and pilgrims. We are God's people. We live in this culture. Now I'd like to ask you this question. What would a multicultural congregation that values individualism and expression look like, self-expression look like? What would a congregation who values individualism and self-expression look like? Well, it would look like the world. That's what the world looks like. That's what they value. And if that's, if that's what a congregation values, that you can express yourself, you have the freedom to do this, you have your freedom to do that. You actually have a congregation that will end up looking like the world, look like society. Why would it look like the world? Well, because it has the world's values. The world does that. And a good part of the American church does that. They dress as they want to. They play as they want to. They watch what they want to. Tattoos, dyed hair, and all kinds of cosmetics and adornments. Every, almost every sort of individualism and self-expression is found inside the church. I had a co-worker whom I knew who used to be a Mennonite, and he left because of he thought they were too restrictive. He's older than I am. He's probably 70 by now, in his 70s. But I, I knew a little bit what he thought, so I, I just asked him, what would you, he was driving with me one day, we were together, and I asked him, what would you say to a young teenager who would ask you, 
whether he should get a tattoo. What would you What would you say to such a person? Because I just want to feel a little bit where he's at. I, I was being kind. I said it in a kind way. I wasn't trying to trap him. I just really wanted to know. What would you say? He didn't answer right away. And uh, I may have asked it twice. I don't know. In other words, I might have asked it a different way. Then he said, Earl, he said, you just have to understand the grace of God. <laughs> to him, it meant it's, it's a non-issue. It's a non-issue. It's a non-issue for any of us to get whatever tattoo we want to express ourselves however we want to is a non-issue in a worldly church because that's what the world does. We will not come together as a congregation. We will not be all of one mind by respecting the rights of everyone to believe what they want to believe and express themselves the way they want to. We will not become a one mind if we do that. A true unity, and this, this could be an entire message. I'm not even equipped to have a message like this, but true unity is forged through shared beliefs. Not shared acknowledgement for everyone to believe what they want to believe but actually sharing the same foundational values and beliefs, which expresses itself in similar um, practices and customs. To be of one mind means being united with others in the way we think having a united way of thinking. Like if I would give any one of you, let's say get a number of you and give you a certain scenario and ask you to come up with an answer. If we have common values, if we have common beliefs, if we're united and of one mind, our 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 response or our answer to that scenario will not be identical, but they will be meshing together. They will mesh together. They will harmonize. So you have a scenario that what would you do in such a such a situation? The answers won't be identical, but they would harmonize. They would mesh. And it would be, if we're of one mind, it would be because we are operating from the same grid of how we understand things. We see the world in a similar fashion as Christians. We, we have the same commitment to the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our understanding, the way we interpret the scripture is similar. The future, what's going to happen to us, is similar. And the scenario which is given to each individually to each one will show that our similarity. And there'll be uh, many, many, many areas of life that way. Now, this is tested at times because even though we have a similar grid, we have different gifts and when you have a different gift you will express a same situation in a different way <clears throat> and so we will so you have a scenario and one person will emphasize a different aspect because of their gifting so we have different gifts like they say if two always agree with each other only one of them is needed so there's an aspect of diversity that's good, but not in the major issues of life. So it will be okay for us if we're ever going to build a new church building. That'll be a conversation for another time. Whether we would have green curtains or red curtains. Well, yeah, that might be green and blue. I'm sorry. <laughs> that might be, you know, here or there. But, and I looked it up, 
we probably would be united that we shouldn't get the La Peleus royal blackout curtains for so many thousands of dollars. So we might disagree on what color and maybe even a little bit what style. But there would come a point where we would have common unanimous agreement. This would not be appropriate. And across the board, we would be a one mind. It's great to make a home a home with curtains. But if we together value humility, practicality, and simplicity, if we corporately shun pride, luxurious luxury, and individualism, then even in our homes, our curtain selections will not be that different from each other. In, say, almost a spontaneous way, and many other purchases that we make and things we do, some of us may go for the cheaper product, which may not last as long. Others may go for better quality, which may last longer. But together, we'll still value the same values of humility, simplicity, and modesty, and unity. That means you can come to me and inquire of me something I have bought or done or where you may do that you may come and ask me and i may do that to you did i do that did i do what i just did was that with the world's ideals or was it with god's ideals and it means that we as a congregation are wise if we corporately agree on some practical direction in the daily lives and decisions that we make that is actually wisdom listen the world is even evangelistic it presses in on us and it tells us to emphasize self that's what the world does it's great to promote yourself. Make a statement. If you got it, show it. Express yourself. And now today, with the avenues that we have on our phones, um, social media has just made that that very thing that I just described to you possible in dimensions that were unknown of a generation ago. Just this past week, and I, I forget who was saying it, but it was it was not a Christian that was saying it, that was saying about social media and how harmful it is to youth. And he was proposing that uh, the social media platforms would not, they would actually be required to be at least 13 before they uh, before youth can get on them which is way 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 too young because he said what you're doing with that is you actually as a young immature person are able to post whatever you want whatever comes some out of your immature heart you can put it for the entire world to see and on this converse, you can see what the entire world posts and you get to see it. And a whole bunch of other immature and wicked people. Absolutely not a good thing. But now that was a little sidetrack. <clears throat> so the world is evangelistic. It presses in on us and tells us to emphasize self. And then individuals and families and churches that used to be separate, but if they then adopt the world's values, we would call, we, they become what we call enculturated. They have ceased to be in any meaningful way separate from the world's values. The culture, like Lot, like Lot, the culture has eventually assimilated them. 
we will not eliminate the culture we're in. Melvin Lehman says it right. The people of God need to have a counter culture. The effective way, this is what his statement is, the effective way to win a culture war is to create a culture, not to fight against the surrounding culture. A culture, create a culture that is godly, that is biblical, that is consistent, that is that um, is coherent. Its values and its practices match. You know, I, I've seen it. I've seen it so often in a young person, in a, in, in youth, in youth. I have seen it many, many times, where you see a passion for God. You see, you see in them a genuine passion for people and God. But then you also see on their person real marks of the world on them in various ways. And, and what it is is an inconsistent message. And, and, and it's, yeah. But that, that, that would be a culture that would be inconsistent. We need to develop or need to have a culture that is godly, that is biblical, is consistent, and that worked well, has similar values and practices. So there's, that, there is only one aspect. So finally, be ye all of one mind. Be of the same mind. Be like-minded. Together, having a similar values. Cultivate this Christian grace. So anyhow, that's one of the reasons we get together weekly like this, is to cultivate that and how we fellowship and on and on. Okay, next point here is have compassion one of another. So it be a one mind and having compassion one of another. Sympathy, empathy. Compassion for one another means to feel what other people feel. It means walking in their shoes. Imagine at least trying to imagine walking in their shoes for a little bit. See, Paul expresses the same thing when he says, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. That means you actually enter in. So we're we're cultivating Christian graces in our congregation, all of us. So when someone is happy and someone has a baby and is healthy and and we all rejoice, right? And when someone is sick or someone has a tragedy or whatever it is, then we mourn. That is what this is called to do. And and uh, Paul Paul said uh, and and compassion. The context is brother to brother, sister to sister, it's in the congregation. It, it, uh, we can have compassion to those outside, but we're talking about compassion within the walls of the church. And it's a little, I'm going to get a little more nuanced with this, with this thought. Sympathy can sometimes, uh, can sometimes, sorry, where, Sympathy, sympathizing with someone, we, we should actually not compromise when we're sympathizing. And I'll explain that a little bit more. Um, I know of a family that had a lot of sickness. And because of that sickness, they, they had missed church quite a bit. This family's not here. <laughs> and... And it was, it was for an extended, in fact, years time. And so uh, then when someone is sick, you have compassion. But then eventually the point came where you think, well, they're just, they're just not very sincere. They're actually not very dedicated. They're actually, uh, they're actually sort of losing out. And, and compassion was not given when compassion should have been kept giving but the idea was is that no they are compromising they are holding back they're not they're not coming in like they should like we would really like to see them come 
And so it wasn't always clear what should be done in that case. In this case, compassion should have been extended when it, instead of that, it would look like they were, like they were compromised instead. Now, compassion is a virtue, but compassion can be a vice if it's by itself. In other words, compassion at the wrong place is not a good thing. Um, compassion comes from, well, compa- mothers have compassion on their babies. Uh, it, it's, it's more of a mater- maternal instinct. And uh, let me try to explain. In, a, in an ultra-compassionate, to someone who's overly compassionate, let's say it this way, they will, and this is what we see in our society right now, they will divide the world in victims and oppressors. And in this, in this scenario, the compassion goes to the victim and it goes to the extent that the victim has done nothing wrong and all the fault is on the other side. And I gave you just an example, the other one that I could think of. Um, there'd be many examples, I'm sure. But you have, you have someone who goes to a school and he does some obnoxious things, whatever it is. He does some things that are sort of stupid or whatever or something weird. And the other students make fun of him for doing that. In one sense, then he becomes a victim because he's being bullied. He's being bullied, okay? And so if someone comes in and is compassionate to that bullied student, because those other students are not where they should be, they probably shouldn't be doing what they're doing, okay? And so you have that scenario. You have two people who are not doing what they're doing. But if all the compassion comes to the one and he becomes a victim, and he's, then he is not... Um, he he is not since he's innocent it's not at all his fault and then the student remains a victim and then he doesn't mature he doesn't grow he doesn't learn he becomes a victim and I like to explain a little bit more um, there's another there's another virtue and I was trying to think of a name for it the best one I come up with is conscientiousness. It's not really not the idea of conscientiousness in the sense that we often think of it. But conscientiousness is a much cooler virtue. It, that it is concerned about others for a much longer period of time. And it's, it's actually a form of compassion because it demands things now for the benefit of the future. Conscientiousness, that virtue, doesn't depend, doesn't care so much how you feel. Just get up and do it. Change the way you act. Conscientious people will whip you into shape. So you go back to this student. He's being bullied at school. What does he need? Does he need compassion? Or does he need a conscientious person to come alongside of him and say, you know what? You maybe need to change some things in your life. I remember Mo Stolzfus talking about Mo Stolzfus wasn't the most compassionate man. Is that right? (laughs) And he would talk about a revival meeting where the the gospel was preached and people would respond to the gospel. And there is somebody that has responded to the gospel. He's all broken up. He has, it has has hit him hard. And Mo says, and then some overly sympathetic lady would come up, maybe it was a, Maybe it was a, a, a woman, a girl that was at the altar. And put her hand on the shoulder and say, oh, I know, I know. It's not that bad. I know we all sinned, you know. And Mo's 
had had none of that. He said, don't do that. He said, it would be better to get alongside and say, yes, sin is bad. Sin will destroy you. Sin will send you to hell. You need to repent of sin. That's compassion in the right place. Have compassion one of another. (laughs) We need wisdom. When to have compassion, how to have it. That's why I said a little more nuance. But there is many times when we really just need compassion. We do just need sympathy. Someone to know or someone to know, someone who cares to come alongside of us. We, we dare not get hard-hearted towards each other. We need to share in both the joys and trials. And so I might have some kind of pain or ache or dilemma or even confusion and you might not fix it. But you coming alongside of me and giving me some comfort, having sympathy with me can help a lot. Have some sympathy. It really can go a long way. Have compassion one of another. Love as brethren is the next one. That is the word. Anyone know? What's that word, love as brethren? Greek word. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. (laughs) Brothers and sisters were family. Brothers, family is committed to each other regardless what happens. Obviously, they're talking about the ideal. Even though there are failures, even though I fail, even though you fail, even though there are disappointments and there's difficulties, you are still my brother. You are still my sister. We are still sisters and brothers. Love as brethren. See, this is what lonely people don't have. Isolated people don't have this. They don't have this kind of commitment to each other when the going is tough. See, love, you should just say love. Love as brothers is a dimension. That means there's family involved. That means there is ties here that even when things are difficult, those ties remain. Love as those ties. I had a co-worker. I have a co-worker who divorced 16 years ago, married someone else, and now going through his second divorce, and he hooked up with some chick from Ghana, but she's back, went back until he has no one at home right now. He needed to go to get a colonoscopy, uh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he needed someone there all the time, four hours. It's not like someone could drop him off and pick him up. And uh, none of his children were able to do it at the time. The only person he could get to go with him was his former wife that he had divorced 16 years ago, took him to the doctor and stayed there and took him home. Praise the Lord. (laughs) We're not there. Love as brethren. There's people here. We have lots of people in our lives. Love as brethren. Here at Oasis... We have a lot of it, and that is God's will. We have friendship, we have fellowship, we have care, commitment at a brotherly and sisterly level. Like the scripture says, let brotherly love continue. That's what I want to say here. Let brotherly love continue. But true Christian love, here, here's one, one point I want to bring out on this point, is true Christian love is... To love others without requiring them to love you. 
God does not say, if you are a Christian, your Christian brothers and sisters will love you. He doesn't say that. He says, if you are a Christian, love your brothers and sisters. Now, if all of us are obedient to the Lord, then we are, have this love that we're talking about. But the commandment is, the guarantee is not that others will love you. The call is for us to love others. Because you are commanded to love me, and I am commanded to love you, and if we're obedient, then we will have the desired effect. Be pitiful is the next point. Just two words, be pitiful. Well, I don't know in what it's Greek. It means tenderhearted. That's a lot like compassion. But tenderhearted is the idea of, of tenderness. When you have something tender, it's like it's sensitive. It's soft. When, when something is, when you have a tender spot, you, you are careful. You're careful with it. Okay? You're careful with your tenderness. Walk carefully around others. Be gentle with others. Be pitiful, tender-hearted. And I know, yes, we are men. We are masculine. We do not want, listen, we do not want a feminine church. We want men who are strong, who can win the world, who can win their battles, who can prophesy, and, and ladies too. <laughs> ladies are more, 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 this is more, uh, n- nature towards you. We want men here who will go and win the world, but to do it with tender hearts. That's what's called here. You can write this one down, maybe. My heart should be tender and my skin should be thick. Think about that a while. Thick skin, but tender hearted. I am hard to offend, but it's easy for me to care for other people. It's hard to get those two together because either you're thick skinned and are insensitive or else you're tender hearted and thin skinned. The more self-focused we are, the more easily we are offended. And then we generally don't love as well either because of that self-focus. I like to think, and the opposite is true too, if we're less self-focused, we're actually going to care well. And Timothy is an example of caring for others. Now, just read a few verses in Philippians. Paul was just writing to the Philippians and he said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, Timotheus to you shortly, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your sake, for all seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. Timothy was such a man. He was a pitiful. He was a naturally cared for their state. I don't know if he, uh, I, maybe he was a little thin-skinned because the, uh, Paul had to remind him, <laughs> you know, to, to to not to be fearful and, and things like that. But uh, be pitiful is to be thick-skinned but tender-hearted. Be courteous is the last one in this verse. The King James Version has the King James has the word courteous. All the other translations has the word humble. A humble spirit, a humble mind. And there's a reason why the translation differs. This is an area where the Masoretic text is different than all the other texts. So in one you have courteous, which uh, we'll find out a little bit more what that means. And the other, you have the word humble. And I just like to, I, I can accept this variation because it will not change the message of the gospel. 
there's no core doctrines overthrown by whether you are courteous or whether you are humble. <laughs> I'll take both of them. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, courteous simply means friendly thoughtfulness, genuine politeness, a genuine courtesy towards other people that is marked by true care. There is one other place that this word is found in the king, well, in the Bible that I'm aware of, uh, in in the adverb form, and it's in Acts 28 seven. And um, I might have it written in the other. In the same quarters were the possessions of a chief man of the island. This must be the ESV or something. Whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. (laughs) Courtesy here was expressed by hospitality. There were some people that really had a need. They were shipwrecked. They were cold. And they were shipwrecked as complete strangers on this island. And courtesy meant that there were some people that were kind enough to meet the need. That is actually what this courtesy means. So so when we're talking about... I lost my place here. Be courteous means that you actually care for the needs of other people. And, and this is done a lot in our congregation. This is a Christian grace. A genuine courtesy. And that was just one verse. <laughs> all of us were called to cultivate all of these graces. And now, and we're, we're mostly done here, but uh, we are going to change, the tone changes significantly in the next verse. The exhortation is the same, but it seems to be a different environment. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. Know that you are there unto call that you should inherit a blessing. And the question I have here actually is, are we now in the church? Or are we actually now in the world with this verse? In verse 8, where these positive graces that we're told to do is clearly in the context of the church. Be all of one mind and that kind of thing. But now we have told not to do something. Don't render evil for evil, evil for evil, or railing for railing. So is that within our congregation, or is that in the general society? Well, I don't know if it really makes any difference, (laughs) does it? If someone rails on you here, are you going to rail in return? If someone rails on you from somewhere else, are you going to rail in return? A Christian, the foundational Christian principle in our relationships, whenever there is opposition, whenever there is abuse, or whenever there is accusation, a foundational principle is don't Respond in turn, in similar way. Don't respond in kind. Someone has said, we, we all say we're, we're supposed to be servants, right? We were washing each other's feet. We sang a song this morning about washing feet. The test of our servanthood is when someone treats you like one. When I am treated badly, what is my response? And two wrongs don't make a right. Now you remember the last message, this one, don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When someone else's sin causes you to sin, then you've been overcome of evil. I remember my own sibling rivalry. My brother hits me, I hit him back. 
if he hit me two times, I hit him back really hard one time. And I remember the time I hit him three times and he hit me back hard one time. I still remember the pain on my shoulder. Now, maybe you don't allow your children to hit. I hope you don't. But this tit for tat is a normal human response. It's just, if you remember, ladies, when I had a few, uh, a month or two ago, I had this exercise up here and said, don't read these here. It's just natural to read. When you see letters, you're just going to read. This is just as natural as that. Someone does you something, you do something in return. That is a natural human response. <clears throat> so someone slights you. Either directly or roundabout way. It wasn't very nice. Or you get accused of not telling them that you're going to use the fire hall when it's not been the norm to use the fire hall for the last nine years. I mean, to tell them that you're using it for the last nine years. But you are accused. It takes humility to have people walk over you. I'm more important than that. That's wrong. I know what I'm. I'm more valuable than that. Well, maybe I'm proud. Maybe I am. See, that's what we're actually called to. That's what it says here. Knowing that ye are here unto called. It's our calling to respond not in kind. It is Absolutely normal to respond that way, but then we are absolutely called to not do that. Our calling is to not do it in return. That is what Jesus did. And this is a true definition of humility. And there's a promise attached to it. Don't revile in return so that you may inherit a blessing. You know, there's an inheritance coming. Earlier in Peter, he talks about that inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. It's unfading. It's, it has four points. I can't remember what they are, but it's, it's, it's going to be there. It's not going to fade. And it's absolutely sure that inheritance is there. And when we respond with a blessing, when we are reviled, we are going to receive, inherit, inherit a blessing. Now, what's that blessing going to be? Uh, it might be here, but it will definitely be there. It's an inheritance. It's not something you earn, but it, it, it is, in a sense, no, it's, no, I don't know if you want to call it earning or not. <clears throat> but there is a blessing and there's an inheritance. It's the currency of heaven. And it's and it's secure. It's secure from inflation. It's secure from fraud because the Lord has that. But see, my job is not done. So someone does something to you that is reviling or is unkind or is evil or is even persecution. My job is not done if I just hold my tongue. My job is done when I turn around and I bless them. Maybe my job is done when I set up tables for them. That takes faith when you absolutely don't feel like it when you've been hurt when you when someone has on purpose done you harm whatever it is then you will not feel like doing something good in return it's an act of faith and it's an act of obedience to pray for them 
and to bless them. And that's not just amongst us. It's also amongst our enemies. <clears throat> the um, Peter, you know, as he was writing this letter, they were experiencing at least a certain amount of persecution already. And um, Peter had warned them that uh, it seemed, uh, from, from what I can tell, the timing of this letter, the persecution was just beginning, but it was going to get a lot worse. And I don't know where we're at in our world and John alluded to it, too, that we might need to get ready for war. We do not know what's down the road, the difficult times ahead. But I, I, suppose, I suppose it would be good if we would learn to do it well in the little issues that we have here now to prepare us for the future. We can live on one of three levels. You can return evil for good. Someone does me good, and I return evil. That's satanic. Or you can return good for good and evil for evil, which is a human level. Or we can return good for evil, which is the divine level. That is divine. That is godly. We are to operate on the basis of mercy, because that is how God deals with us. God deals with me on the basis of his mercy. And then he calls us to do the same for others. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are hereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. And then Peter quotes a psalm. This was a song that these were Jewish people. They might have sang this song many times already. Um, it's like, like uh, if I have a message and I, and I want to make a point, and we, I, I quote a psalm, a song that we all know, like trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And, um, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who trust and obey. And we can all connect with that song if it's, you know, in point. And so that's what Peter is doing right here. And for a close, I want to actually read this beautiful song. Psalms 34. <clears throat> I will, Psalms 34, I'll just read it. just so many beautiful verses. So this is the psalm, and he just quoted part of it, but we'll read the whole psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. And this verse that I quoted a few weeks ago, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. And I hear exactly what Peter quotes. What man is he that desires life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. 
The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such to be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. What a psalm. <laughs> what a, what, what context. What, what amount of contact is, uh, amount of, uh, blessing is in that, that psalm there. So, okay, may the Lord bless you. Um, as cultivate Christian graces, both inside and outside our congregation.